outside. Jeff Smith, he didn't get there. Fumbles the football. Oklahoma takes over. Hey, everybody. Brady Trantham here. Welcome to a new edition of the Inside OU Podcast and a bonus edition, I might add. On last Thursday's podcast that Keegan and I did from Vanessa House, I mentioned that I was going to put together a little splice of the interview cornucopia that was our Patreon page uh, last week. Uh, I had the pleasure of talking to Jason Kersey from The Athletic on Monday, and Keegan had two interviews with Nick Schultz, a former Loyola Chicago student journalist who covered Porter Moser's teams through the Final Four uh, run during that time, and Adam McClintock, the college football professor. And we had such great conversations amongst those three, great information that I wanted to share it with you, our Inside OU listeners who aren't necessarily supporters of our Patreon page for two reasons. Well, one, you know, shameless plug for the Patreon page as well. Um, You can get these conversations in full and more conversations like that, as well as other unique OU content and some inside information as well as Keegan's film breakdowns at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. And you get these interviews, these podcasts that we do once a week, and you can get all these interviews plus our podcasts that we do once a week until football season uh, for just $4 a month. It's just $4 a month, a cup of coffee, depending on how much shit you put in yours. And then number two, I also wanted to give something special to our Inside OU listeners who, just because you don't, just because you don't support the Patreon page doesn't mean that I don't appreciate you, that I don't uh, love you to death. I mean, a big reason why the Patreon page is even successful, considering all things, is because of this podcast, Inside OU. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit of extra Inside OU content. And of course, like I feel like I have to remind everybody about this. Once we get into football season, There's going to be more than one Inside OU podcast. There's going to be more than one Through the Keyhole Patreon podcast than once a week. But, you know, spring football, not that much information. We're going to have fun with the spring game once that comes and goes. But, yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, I wanted to give one more little advertisement to our Patreon page. Once again, patreon.com slash Through the Keyhole for $4 a month gets you podcast once a week, interviews, Monday morning post, and $5 a month gets you all that, plus Keegan's film breakdowns, and he actually put out a film breakdown last week for our $4 patrons to try and entice them to jump up one extra dollar so you can get a little bit of a taste of that as well. You can also follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash keyhole pod. Just like and follow if you'd like to get more page updates, show updates, all those things. But everybody, we're going to get right into it. Here's a little bit of a splice of my conversation with Jason Kersey from The Athletic. One of my favorite examples of something that I could never have seen on television, but that informed my coverage for a while. And then I ultimately ended up writing about it. Um, And I'm sure a lot of the people that have been on the beat for a while remember this moment. Uh, It was at the end of the Russell Athletic Bowl when OU had just was getting rocked by Clemson. I mean, just destroyed. It was 40 to six. They scored a touchdown at the end, but who cares? I mean, and then they missed the extra point. Um, (laughs) But, you know, at the end of that game, uh, we're down on the field and um, watching the players and how they're acting. And there's a lot of guys who were down in the dumps, sitting there with their heads down. Um, And there was one guy who was not in a uniform, but super fired up, going up to every guy on the bench. And you couldn't hear what he was saying, but you could sort of get the sense that what he was saying is, I got you next year. Next year, we're going to be better. And it was Baker Mayfield. And he was going, he was not in uniform because he was ineligible that year, but he was walking up. And that was sort of the moment that at least I thought, 
that guy's going to be the starter next year. Like that right there, that, that should have been Trevor Knight. I mean, no offense to Trevor Knight, but that should have been Trevor Knight doing that. And it wasn't, it was Baker Mayfield doing that. And um, I, I just remember keeping that sort of in my back pocket and thinking like that to me is a sign. He's going to be the quarterback next year. And that informed my coverage. I mean, I, I presented him as the favorite throughout the whole off season. And I would say a lot of it was because of that moment and, and other things, you know, too. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't just because of that, but that was part of it. And then I waited and it was when OU was getting ready to play Clemson again, the next year in the orange bowl that I finally wrote about that moment. I waited for a year, but that was always sort of there. And that's a, that's a little moment that maybe people wouldn't have known about if I hadn't been able to see it. I know that that probably seems a little inside baseball, but that stuff actually does make a difference. I mean, no question, I mean, especially when you're talking about football and there are so many players there. Like you said, Baker Mayfield's there, but he's not in a jersey because he wasn't eligible. Um, and it should have been Trevor Knight because he was QB1. Uh, did he finish that game or like, was the, the, did Kendall Thompson get thrown in there? <laughs> uh, Kendall was gone. Kendall was at Utah by that point. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, that that, that, that would have been Cody Thomas would have been the other guy. Oh, boy. May, may as well have been Cody Thomas. I mean, he had just as much of a right to think that he could be QB1 going into next year. But again, well, and I should also say, I, I really like Trevor Knight a lot. And I don't, I, you know, I always did. I'm not saying, and maybe he did fire people up in a way I didn't see it. I just know that it looked to me in that moment like Baker Mayfield was taking the reins. Yeah. And again, like this will be the last bit of, I guess, this we're not complaining about the jobs and how it's kind of had to adapt because of the changing time but um, again those are just little nuggets that you kind of keep in your head whether you're the media member and then uh, if you do or if you're able to write about it or share it like that's something that I don't know if I would necessarily write about it until like it would apply when they played Clemson but that's something that would surely be helpful whenever you're on a radio interview talking about a quarterback competition but again those are things that you miss those are things that we are going to miss during the spring practice because if I'm not mistaken the only time you're you guys are going to be able to see the team is during the spring game, right? Like with the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. We, there, there's no, uh, open 15 minute open practice. At least there hasn't been yet. I don't know. Maybe they'll open one up, but they haven't yet. Um, and I don't expect that they will, but yeah, it's, it's the spring game. And, and then there's, you know, the clips they put out, but you know, those are, those are designed to make sure we can't really see any. Well, thank God there really isn't like a, a need to like put, Caleb Williams or Micah Bowens in every Instagram post along with Spencer. Like, hey, can't can't just put one quarterback and highlight him on social media. It needs to be a quarterback competition, remember? So thank God we get to avoid that. Uh, but something you said earlier about the team really kind of speaks to like where my mindset is. And you, of course, Jason, you know, coming from a, a media member's perspective, probably won't really vibe with this that much, but maybe because you've been around the fan base so long, you'll know what I'm talking about. But everything you said was true. Like one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Spencer Rattler, some of the best skill position players, deepest skill positions across the board in the country, a great offensive line potentially coming back that could be even better, even with the losses of their two best uh, offensive linemen, in my opinion, Creed. And uh, oh boy, who was the other guy? Yeah, yeah, Adrian Ely. Um, and then, of course, the defense, which Alex Grinch has been just raving about the secondary and giving every OU fan just, oh, my gosh, is the secondary finally going to be a strength and not just something that you pray doesn't potentially get you down in a game? All that kind of, like, results in, I want to believe, but I'm scared to, Jason. <laughs> and, and, and we've kind of talked about it recently about how 
previous assistant coaches and previous staffs have chosen to unfairly hype players as the, being the savior of a defense. And the easiest example would be Buki Radley Hiles when Kerry Cooks told you guys how great he was when he got there. And it just built this narrative that Buki was unfortunately never able to sniff. And when Alex Grinch says those things, and you'll know this by talking to him a little bit more, he kind of strikes me as a guy who is not there to pretty up anything. He's a guy that seems to me that it's just all football and is not going to bullshit you. So when he says those things about the secondary or he says those things about an incoming freshman, are you more inclined to say, I kind of believe this. I, I'm not just going to say I'm, I'll, I'll wait and see. Yeah, I, I think there are two coaches on the OU staff right now that that uh, that I apply that to. That if they say something, I I believe them. I I don't believe that they're ever bullshitting. Is uh, is Bill Biedenboe and Alex Grinch? Those are the oh, two yeah. guys that when they, when they talk, I I never feel like they're uh, you know sugarcoating things or making things look better than they are. They they pretty much tell you what they think uh, for the most part. And so, yeah, Alex Grinch is, has, sounds very excited about what he's got coming back and he should, I mean, he's in, going into the third year, they've made market improvement in each year that he's been there, clear, obvious improvement uh, in each year that he's been there. And um, so when he talks about Jeremiah Cradell, for example, the way that he talked about him a few weeks ago, um, you know, I believe that, holy cow, that guy is about ready to take the next step. Um, so w when he talks about DJ Graham, the way that he's talked about DJ Graham, I, I believe that. So totally, absolutely. And and yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying about like the hype because I mean, look, OU fans have, <laughs> it's it's so weird. Um, I've written about this sort of before, but like it's, it's so strange because OU fans have so much to be proud of over the last two decades. So much conference championships, NFL draft picks, Heisman Trophy winners, all Americans, all of it. But they don't have the one thing that everybody wants. They don't have the one thing that everybody's been waiting for. And they've been really close, uh, but they haven't been able to do it. And this feels like I'm not going to predict that they're going to do it this year, but this certainly feels like the year when I would be the most confident in predicting such a thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I don't know how close or connected uh, to the program you were around 2007, 2008, but I keep saying, um, well, so you might be able to vibe with this. This is the most balanced, highest ceiling team, I believe, since the offseason of 2007 going into two th the 2008 season. And a lot of that was because in 2007, you saw the skill position guys. Sam Bradford was an incredible freshman quarterback. Offensive line was coming back. And the defense... The, Outside of lose, losing Curtis Lofton and I think Marcus Walker, everybody else was coming back with Ryan Reynolds, uh, Gerald McCoy, all these guys. And have there been great OU teams, if not better OU teams, uh, you could argue since then? Sure, like the 2017 Rose Bowl team will be up there, but that team was by no means balanced. So the entire balance part of the equation, uh, the ex returning experience, how they finished off last year, it just gives me the thought. Uh, that 2021 is like it since 2008. And you could also go into like, I mean, I, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how far we want to go into this, but just the, the thought that this is now Alex Grinch's defense for the most part. I mean, a lot of the guys that he's excited for are the guys that he recruited. The guys that are still left over from Mike Stoops's uh, regime have at least shown to be, you know, very solid. You know, Patrick Fields, DTY, those guys have shown to be very solid in their roles. 
Um, and then, of course, Lincoln Riley, this is completely his team, completely his offense. And it just gives OU fans the thought that like 2021 has always been the year. If you went back a few years ago, if you projected it out and Alex Grinch became the guy or whoever that next defensive coordinator was going to be, if he was simply good by year three of that defensive coordinator's reign at OU, that was going to be the year. And it's kind of coincided with 2021. But I mean, is 2008 it for you? Is that, is this the most balanced team in your opinion going into a season? Yeah, probably because you know, I think about like 2015 was that that was a good team with a good defense. They weren't great, but they were pretty good. Striker, Tapper, Sanchez, they were a good defense. The offense was really good, but we didn't know that going into that year. I mean, that oh, was yeah. coming off that Russell Athletic Bowl. So <laughs> we didn't know going in that they were going to be like that. I mean, I think you mentioned the 2017 Rose Bowl team. I mean, that obviously that defense wasn't as good as this one. But I think there was a, a, a sense of excitement about that team. But then they had that was Lincoln Riley's first year. I mean, so you never know how something like that might impact the upcoming season. And thanks once again to Jason Kersey for jumping on the podcast last week. And now we switch gears over to our buddy, the lovely Mr. Keegan Renault, who sat down with Nick Schultz, a former Loyola Chicago student journalist who covered Porter Moser's Final Four team a few years ago. Recruiter, we knew that even when Loyola wasn't very good, we knew this guy's a hell of a recruiter because you listen to him talk and the way he the way he sells the university, the way he sells his vision. I mean, he's very articulate about how he does that, and that's why, like, getting guys from the transfer portal. I know that's a task in and of itself, but to recruiting the big, recruiting the stretch four, the wing, whatever they need. Now that he, especially now that he has the Texas connection with this new assistant, I'm not worried about him because he's a, he was a good enough recruiter in the Missouri Valley. He can recruit with the best of them in the big 12. In my opinion, this is, it's not going to be a huge undertaking like Loyola was, which is why I think like a two to three year thing. I, I see no problem with that. If I'm in Porter's shoes. Yeah. Porter's coming in. He will be a top six coach in the big 12, which to, you, now you're going to be like, it's, I mean, you got Bill Self, you've got Chris Beard, you've got Bob Huggins, uh, Mike Boyden up in Stillwater is doing a fantastic job. Oh, Scott Drew's about to coach in a national championship game. Um, it sounds like this is a guy ready to take on a challenge. And I think a lot of Oklahoma fans, that's what they want to hear. A guy that's not afraid to get into this league, maybe do things a little bit differently, which is what I'm about to ask you of my final two questions of in terms of philosophical from a basketball perspective, I know it's a little bit different specifically defensively. I know how he plays defense is different than any, it's going to be for Oklahoma fans that listen to this. It's a lot like what Alex Grinch brought to Oklahoma. It's going to be a different mentality. It's going to be kind of different. It's not the, what teams do on a weekend week out basis um, from your perspective, from a boss basketball philosophy. Um, what did you hear from him? in terms of practice, press conferences that excited you about what you were about to see? And then two, just overall his system that he ran, just what, what was it? Why is it going to work in the big 12? From a defensive standpoint, he is all about defense. There is a reason Loyola was number one in the nation in defense this year. And part of that was Drew Valentine, who he Porter called the defensive coordinator at Loyola, who's now going to be promoted to the head coach, but Porter's all about defense and even in the press conferences, he's all about getting better. He's, like, he, he's all about defense dictates offense. And that an offense dictates defense and like vice versa. That's how he operates. He says it in the press conferences all the time. Again, you hear me talk about his buzzwords. You will hear 
the defense dictated our offense or the offense offense dictated our defense all the time. Cause he also likes to run a high powered offense. You saw that on the big stage in 2018, he has his three point shooters. He loves to pace in space. He had a point center in Crutwig, which he'd never had before. One of Porter's downfalls at Loyola was big guys. Like I'm talking traditional bigs. He likes small ball. He's great at managing small ball. Crutwig was the first big guy he had success with because he's a point center. He can facilitate from down low. And that's how that was the final piece to that high powered offense that Porter liked to run. Cause it it's high octane. It's fast pace in space, three point oriented. And I think it's going to translate really well to the big 12. Porter Moser leaves Loyola Chicago as a perennial mid-major power heads to Oklahoma. I'm joined by Nick Schultz on the through the keyhole side of things. This will also be available on our public podcast. Uh, Nick, I want to finish up with this. I saw a picture that you posted after Porter Moser leaves. I know you grew a close relationship with him. What, just from a personal level, he heads to Oklahoma. Just what, what did, what was, what, what did he mean to you as a journalist? And I know from a student journalist perspective, the things I was able to say about Lon Kruger, the things I'm able to say about Lincoln Riley, um, just about Porter Moser, the person that's give you a minute or so maybe here to talk about it. I wouldn't be the reporter. I am. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. If Porter wasn't willing to talk. I mean, he was always willing to take the time in my show open he did an interview with Mully and Hanley on 670 The Score. It's now Mully and Haw. And there, there was a question in the press conference that he brought up, and he brought up that I asked, and he brought up, he called me Nick Schultz, a rising star in this profession, and it meant the world to me. Because on a personal level, I got to know Porter. Like, outside of basketball, I mean, we would just sit there and talk about life. He, he coached at Illinois State for a minute. My parents went to Illinois State. So we talked about that connection. There was a time after a game Outside the, outside the media room before Loyola was big, my parents were standing outside the door waiting for me to finish the press conference. They came to visit and he started talking to him and was just talking about me working with me as a journalist. And it was very cool. So when he got this job, I couldn't help but be happy for him. I mean, I'm not going to be one of these Loyola fans that's not that's angry that he left. No, there's no, I won't criticize this decision at all. I keep saying Porter needed to do what was best for him. Does it suck as a Loyola alum that he left? Yeah. But I'm happy that a really that a good guy, someone who treated me really well for four years, got a really great opportunity. And I, I wish him all the best. I hope our paths cross again so I can shake his hand again and thank him. That picture was actually after my senior night, by the way. That was the senior night game. I wasn't supposed to cover it, but my my co-editor said, uh-uh, you're covering this. This is your this is the last game. It's gonna be your last game. And I asked him on a whim for that picture. It turned out to be one of the one of the last times I saw him in person because of the pandemic, that was before the conference tournament, obviously, but he, he's just an all around good guy. And I could never thank him enough for everything. Sir, it's been, it's a pleasure. Maybe we'll have you on if Florida, if Oklahoma makes a run here um, this next season, I'm looking forward to covering from afar, being able to maybe have Porter come on our pod. Um, but as well, um, thank you for your time. I know our patrons are going to be thankful for the information you provide today. Um, plug your blog for us one time and your Bulls podcast. Yeah, so you catch me on Sundays, WLUW Radio, Loyola Student Station. Um, I also write a little bit for my own blog called Off the Inbound. I've just, I started it within the last year during COVID to keep busy. And I also host, host a Chicago Bulls podcast every Wednesday on the Believe Podcast Network. It's called Believe in Bulls. And 
I find ways to keep busy, let me tell you. But there's something about college basketball and mid-major basketball especially, man. It's great. I mean, just great stuff, really. Great stuff uh, about a hire that I'm already excited for. And then listening to Nick uh, tell us about a little bit more about Porter Moser's character, it just gets me all the more hyped and excited for OU's basketball program moving forward. But now we'll switch gears once again. Same with Keegan, but more college football with Adam McClintock. <laughs> For sure. I can tell you we are kind of in the same position. Obviously, we're in the early stages of what we do. I know that we have followed each other for a long time. You know how much respect I have for what you and Dave Bartu, which is CFB Matrix, um, no matter how much he talks about CBD on his Twitter account. Uh, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm <laughs> um, no, I so I wanted to have him on today because I listened to him on a radio spot down in Alabama, I believe this week. Adam, it's early, but I can tell you from what we look at, from how I build my perspectives, and I know that you see it, but I, I, it's hard to not see a pathway, and I know it's April 2nd of this. If there's not a ton of injuries or attrition over the next six months, how Oklahoma's not finding themselves in a very good position at the end of the season. Absolutely. You're spot on, Keegan. I get I've been doing this since 2008, and this is the highest ranked I've had at Oklahoma since 2008. I have them as the number three team in the country, um, just, just behind Clemson and Alabama, but they are not far. Those three teams, Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma, are kind of up above the rest right now. Um, Oklahoma, would I have, I'd, I have them as a half a point dog to Alabama on a neutral field and only a three-point dog to Clemson on a neutral field right now. So they are right there, not only in the playoff mix, but actually to, to bring home the whole thing this year. This is the, the best chance they've had since, like I said, since, since 08, according to my model. And if you look at what the job Alex Grinch has done, and the last time we talked was in 2018, uh, times are a little bit different since then, Adam. I don't know if you've noticed. They actually have great defensive line play. They, the havoc rate is up just a tremendous tremendous amount um they're getting turnovers now and i know when we're talking about the turnovers that's not as important um in terms of analytics and data but they are getting them but because they weren't getting them before i guess it, it for us it's impacted how we see oklahoma just a little bit um it what is it about what alex Grinch has brought has it been the havoc rate that's impressed you has it been the the just amount of pure pressures that they're getting what what has it been about what Alex Church has brought to Oklahoma that's impressed you well it's you know back into back when he was hired I I had told Sooner fans to be patient with him that it was going to take him a few years to get going just because of the body type of athlete that he requires to run his style of defense is so much different than what Oklahoma had on the roster at the time you're starting to see that now. You're starting to see the longer defensive backs. You're starting to see the 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 the, the, the uh, more explosive defensive ends and defensive linemen. Those are all things that that Alex Grinch's defenses have always been always been known for. Along with that, come the takeaways, come the aggression, come the and Sooner fans are starting to see that, especially towards the end of the season last year. Um, one of the things that really impressed me about him, the havoc rate is is great. I don't necessarily look at that as much as most do. I look directly at how much effort the opposing offense has to exert to score a single point. So within that, the more turnovers he gets, that's actually boosts his, his rating in, in my book anyway, because it, he's requiring that offense to, to, to do, to do more score points if they're turning the ball over. So um, his, he has increased every year that that metric that I, that I track at least 10% over itself mm. every year he's been there. So when we see that, 
that is, that's not common. That's, 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 that's really not common. I, I expect that him to take another big jump this year. Um, that's a lot of the reason why my model has Oklahoma in the place they are in the top three. Where you, I know this is a question that you're going to go, Keegan, you're the one that's supposed to be answering this. What has been to you the most surprising part of Oklahoma's, and people can't see it's me doing this, I'm doing this in quotation marks, dip offensively over the last two years? Mm, well, the last two years, see, last year was the first year they haven't had a, uh, a, a, a <laughs> an experienced quarterback come in, you know, and, and, and really run things, you know. Uh, Spencer Rattler is going to be good. He's going to be really good, he, but he, he was, he was a freshman. He was, he's going to come in and, you know, he's ultra talented, but he's not superhuman. You know, he, he's going to make freshman mistakes because, you know, things are a lot different when the actual bullets are flying than in practice. So he made some freshman mistakes last year. I think you saw he played better towards the end of the year. He'll continue to, to, to progress. Uh, we were, we we're yet to see Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma have a quarterback for two or three years in his system. Um, that's scary because, because, uh, I'm of the opinion that my golden doodle could go play quarterback for Lincoln Riley and throw for 3000 yards in a season. So it, if, if he's got, if he's got Spencer Rattler there under his system for three years or four years, that could be a huge headache. Defensive coordinators across the country better hope that he just decides to go to the draft early because he's going to be a handful by the time he's a senior or junior he's going to be gone after this year. You don't need to worry Absolutely. about that. Uh, I, you know, you, you look, and I, I know this is supposed to be Q and a, but you look at Rattler and I, I think from just an offensive perspective here, it's been a little shocking left tackle play has been what it is. Uh, it's, it was a, you know, the a, right analytics numbers in terms of passing data, the last two years just hasn't been what it was in seven, 16, 17, and 18. Um, there, you know, obvious reasons there. You don't have quarterbacks there as, as talented uh, yet. I mean, I think Rattler's going to get there, Adam. I, 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 people that listen to this Patreon just were applauding you when you said that because they've been telling me that for about three months now. And it's funny that, you know, you just look at it. There's just little things when you go to the film and you look at it that it, it makes you pause just a little bit. However, um, I will get into a more Big 12-centric here, but I did want to say this to you. I do have Oklahoma and Georgia playing each other um, next season. And I want to – this is honestly because of something that you and Dave Bartu talked about three years ago. Alabama's coaching staff – I don't know how you look at Bill O'Brien, and I know that obviously the numbers aren't good for Pete Golding. Uh, just what are you – with Oklahoma, I, the coaching staff side of it, is it – do you have them rated? Do you, how do you perceive them in terms of stepping out with Alabama? And then we'll get into Alabama in just a sec. Well, I have Oklahoma's coaching staff ranked as the fifth best coaching staff in the country overall. Um, compare that to Alabama. Let me see here. Let me pull Alabama up here really quick Alabama has the 12th best coaching staff in the country so they have a better coaching staff this year from top to bottom than, than Alabama does Alabama's talent is still you know mm -hmm. they're they have the second they have the second best talent in the country behind Georgia who you mentioned um uh, and Oklahoma is actually closing that gap is to a gap to Oklahoma's in the top 10 so Oklahoma's closing the gap on on both areas I actually right now like Oklahoma's staff better than than what Alabama has, just because of what you talked about. I'm not a big believer in, in, in Pete Golding. I'm not a big believer in Bill O'Brien, 
the common factor there is is Nick Saban, and he, <laughs> as long as, as long as he is the captain of that ship, he's going to will it through no matter who his coordinators are to a certain extent. Now that's caught up to him a, a little bit in the past few years. You, you've seen kind of kind of the, the the pack start to close a little bit. You know, Clemson put the beat down a couple of years ago. LSU caught him in 2019. Um, so his coordinator hires are starting to catch up to him a little bit, but uh, uh, it's still Nick Saban. It's still, he's still got the talent. He's still got that machine rolling. You still, I mean, a bad year for them is number two, number three in the country. So that's, uh, a lot of teams would, 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 would crawl over themselves for that. For sure. Um, let's focus on Texas real quick. Uh, Ponet, obviously the Oklahoma. I thought there was a, they, I don't know if the head coach is going to be rated super high quite yet. I think he's a great offensive coordinator. Um, I think I'm a buyer in Texas. I've said this over four to five years. I'm not a buyer in them in the near term, but I I think he nailed the defensive coordinator higher. I I like what I think Texas can become. They've got to hit the quarterback position um, hard in terms of the recruiting trail. They got to hit the offensive line. Uh, hard as well on the recruiting trail but what did you think about the higher Texas and and how do you see Texas for uh, 2021? Uh, Steve Sarkeesian as, as a head coach he's average to above average as a head coach but he is a tremendous play caller from that standpoint which I was encouraged to see that he's going to retain play calling duties at Texas and as you said Pete Kwiatkowski from you know Washington that was an absolute monster home run hire Dave, you know, as you mentioned, Dave and I, we uh, we do analytics for athletic departments throughout the country, and he has been high on our list every single year coming out of Washington as, as one of the top three or four defensive coordinators in the country. Um, he's going to come to Texas with talent that he, he, he hasn't had at Washington. Now, that talent may be undeveloped because, in my opinion, the past few staffs have, 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 have kind of struggled with development. But if he can get by whatever it is in Texas that that causes that to not happen sometimes, and then that he can turn those defenses into something pretty pretty nasty at Texas pretty quickly. Um, if Sarkeesian learned anything at all from 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 Nick Saban and his time there and on how to be a head coach, um, Texas should be in good hands because I really do like the play calling, um, uh, the, the 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 pace pairing between uh, what uh, Steve Sarkeesian does and what uh, Pete Kowalkowski is capable of on the defensive All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the Bonus Inside OU podcast. Once again, I appreciate you all. We're over 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Could not be more thankful for that. If you haven't done so, please leave a five-star rating and review. I would greatly appreciate it. Keegan would appreciate it. And life is starting to get back a little bit uh, closer to normal. So if you would like, if you're in the neighborhood, feel free to drop by at Vanessa House around 530 on Thursdays, Keegan and I will be there setting up for the podcast to start it, and uh, we'll buy you a beer just to show you all some extra thank yous. But everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you later.